Hi, this is Mark. I'm one of the senior pastors from Hope Church Malmesbury. I want to personally thank you for downloading or listening online to this sermon cast from Hope Church. We, we share these messages because they really spoke to us. We value their, their content and uh, the anointing that's upon them. And I pray that they bring a fresh revelation of God's love for you today. And if you're able to support the work of Hope Church and the cost of sharing these messages online, then you can go to our website, www.thehope.church give and follow the instructions on that page. And if you're every mum's on a Sunday morning, you will always receive a very warm welcome at Hope Church. And now, let's join today's message. Ah, good morning, good morning, and welcome to Hope Online. My name is Mark, I'm one of the lead pastors here at Hope in the International Space Station. Welcome back to another in our series, The Promise and the Purpose. You know, Fridays is usually sermon writing day for me, uh, but I took some time off this Friday to go for some well-needed exercise. I marched into town because I was meeting up with squadron leader Steve for some socially distanced exercise, takeaway coffee and a walk. So when I got into town, I texted him and I said, oh, I'm at our spot, I'm at the town hall, where are you? He replied, I'm at home, he said, working. Why are you working, I said. Because we're meeting next Friday, he said. Now the thing is, <laughs> I need the exercise anyway, it's fine. But the thing is, that's the most exciting thing that happened to me all week. <laughs> right? That, that, welcome to life, life in lockdown. Well, closely followed, I guess, by the second most exciting thing, which is watching uh, the Snyder Cut of Justice League. Justice League. Um, about halfway through so far, it's a four-hour movie. Wow. Um, there's some there's some stuff in there. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's fine. We'll pray for you later. So, just before we start, there's a couple of jokes that I was told that I shouldn't um, I shouldn't share because they were so bad. But since I'm up here and Lydia's down there, what can you do to stop me? So I've <laughs> I've been bird watching with my friend Sinead O'Connor. So far, it's been seven hours and fifteen jays. <laughs> you might need to think about that one for a little while but uh, I was in the shop the other day and a man came in and he said uh, why is the exit sign flipping on and off and the chap behind the counter said oh it's on its way out now, it was on it was on Sunday the third sorry the third Sunday of March the third Sunday of March 2013 and Hope Church opened its doors for the first time that was eight years ago today Eight years ago today, I can't believe it's been eight years. I don't know if you, you see my, my T-shirt, it says Hope, although this is uh, the other Hope, this is uh, Hope says established AD 33. Well, our Hope was established in AD 2013. And in those eight years, wow, how much has happened, right? We've gotten to know new friends and, you know, some people have moved on. We've had tears of laughter, tears of sorrow. There's been plenty of smiles and, of course, lots of lots of cake. And it wouldn't be Hope's birthday without some, some cake. Here's, here's one I made earlier. This is a, 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 a Greek yoghurt cake. I don't know if you can see that there. It's, um, and I don't, I'm not sure how I can, I, I, I can help, help you, you try it, but um, maybe just open wide. I'll dip for you. Mmm. Mm, that's good. Mm, that's really good. You see, 
the things I will do for you. I'll eat the cake. Mm. On your behalf, if I can speak around it. Eight years, a lot has happened, you know. Friendships have been formed as this bunch of strangers, this motley crew, has developed into an extended family. You know, Lydia and I, we, we love all of you guys. And we can't wait until we finally get to meet together again in person. Now, it's been said that, that Christianity isn't a religion, it's relationship. A relationship to a flawed human and a holy God. Where the perfection of one covers over all the flaws and the sins of the other. And, and the church isn't a building, isn't even an organisation. It's, it's a family. It is a relationship as well. And that brings us to the topic of today's message, which is all about relationships. As we continue our series, The Promise and the Purpose, today we're going to talk about relationship goals. Relationship goals. You know, our, our relationships, they, they define us in, in ways that are obvious and subtle. You know, we define ourselves yeah, by our relationships. I am Lydia's husband. I am your pastor. At work, you might say, Karen is my boss. Bob is my customer. And our identity is closely wrapped up and linked to our relationships. You go look at someone on social media. What do they choose to share about themselves? When they were born, where they lived, and what their relationships are and who those relationships are with. You know, our identity is closely linked to our relationships. Which means that when that relationship is healthy, it has a very positive impact on our identity and our definition of self. And when that relationship is not healthy, it can have a very negative impact. And when I say an unhealthy relationship, what is it that springs to mind? Do you, do you think about that unhealthiness coming from how the other person acts and speaks and behaves towards you? And so this in turn has a negative impact on your identity, your sense of self, your definition of yourself, how you feel, how you think, how you act is affected by the other person in the relationship. But what if the unhealthiness in the relationship comes from what you're saying, what you're doing, your attitudes, your behaviours? And as we'll see in today's message, it can also have a negative impact on you, on your own sense of identity, your own definition of yourself because of how you're treating someone else. See, who you are, your identity, your, your sense of self is affected by how you treat other people just as much as by how other people treat you. So what's the story so far? We're continuing our slow walk through the Gospel of Luke. And for the last few weeks, we've been meandering through the family tree of Jesus, as recorded in Luke chapter 3. Two weeks ago, I looked at the story of Ruth and Boaz. Last week, Lydia looked at Rahab as she challenged us to get past our past. And this week, after skipping a few generations of people that we really don't know very much about, we arrive in the book of Genesis at Judah, the son of Jacob. You know, one of my favourite uh, musicals of all time, his brother Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. But don't worry about it, I won't sing any of it to you. Strange as it seems. So our key verse for today, it's a nice long one. So from uh, the New Living Translation in chapter 3 of Luke's Gospel, verse 34, it says, Judah was the son of Jacob. There we go. God bless you. Go forth in peace to love and serve the Lord.
what, you want more? Okay, fine. So Judah was the great, 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 great grandfather of Boaz. And the story of Judah can be best understood by looking at three key relationships that Judah had. Three relationships that in fact shaped the very story of the Bible. These are Judah's relationships with his brother Joseph, his daughter-in-law Tamar, and his brother Benjamin. So let's start off by looking at Joseph and jealousy. Now Jacob had 12 sons, recorded in Genesis chapter 37, and it says that Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph was born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob made a special gift for Joseph. It was a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because his father loved him more than the rest of them. And they couldn't say a kind word to him. So Joseph, he has this this complicated relationship with his brothers. Which is a polite way of saying actually Joseph was an arrogant son of a gun. And his brothers did not like him at all. And they were jealous of him to the point where they decided to do away with him. So one day out in the countryside, the brothers saw Joseph walking in the distance. Now perhaps that multicolour high-vis jacket was not such a good idea. Reading again from the Bible, Genesis 37, starting verse 18, says, When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognised him in the distance, and as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him. Throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father that a wild animal has eaten him. We'll see what becomes of all of his dreams. But then Judah steps in. He sees an opportunity to make a bit of extra cash on the side. And he says, well, why sell him? We could sell him. So why kill him? We could sell him to some slavers and make some extra money. So the, and the Bible says in verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, why don't we sell him to these Ishmaelite traders we can see coming down the road? After all, he's our brother. He's our own flesh and blood. And the brothers agreed. So the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, they came by. And Joseph's brothers, they pulled him back out of that cistern and they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And the, and the traders took him off to Egypt. Egypt, about, about, about there. Now, jealousy is a powerful and pernicious emotion. It, it tends to focus on, on things and it reduces people to, to things in our eyes, things that stand between you and what it is that you want. Now, Judah and his brothers, they were jealous of Joseph because their father loved Joseph dearly. So did, did they really think that breaking their father's heart would make him love them anymore? If they really cared at all for their father's approval and affection, I mean, why did they care so little about causing hurt to their father by killing his son? See, jealousy, it, 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 it screws with the way that we see the world. It causes us to reduce other people to being little more than tools that can help us get what we want or should be discarded as, as, as useless. You know, this is how the brothers treated Joseph. And when you're jealous of someone or, or, or what someone has, you know, that can quickly turn into resentment. I wish I had a house like so-and-so. quickly turns into, I don't like so-and-so because they have what I want. But the thing is, 
Yeah, I mean, who who am I? Who who are you to judge who God should or should not bless? Now, I love Psalm 37. I've been studying it uh, in my quiet times the last couple of weeks. And it's full of promises of blessing. Yeah, and perhaps like me, you, you love it. You jump straight into verse 3 of Psalm 37. Now, trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. How many Christian fridge magnets have said that through the years? But, you know, if we start at the beginning of that psalm, rather than just cherry picking the scriptures that make us feel good. This psalm that is so full of promises of blessing starts with a warning of not to fall into the trap of jealousy. Verse one, it says, don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. For like grass, they will soon fade away like spring flowers. They will soon wither. And this is a recurring theme throughout the whole psalm. Jealousy is juxtaposed with blessing over and over again. Jealousy versus blessing. Jealousy versus blessing. Almost like a choice. Which one do you want to be the theme tune of your life? Jealousy or blessing? Jealousy or blessing? Maybe you just can't have both. And Jacob's great, 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 great grandson, Solomon, would write in Proverbs, a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Whereas jealousy is like cancer to the bones. And how does God describe himself to Moses? He says uh, in chapter 34 of Genesis, the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations and I forgive iniquity and rebellion and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and their grandchildren, and the entire family is affected, even children to the third and fourth generations. And in the story of Judah, we see this idea of the sins of the parents being laid on the children, you know, played out before our eyes. Now, this doesn't mean that God punishes children just for the sins of their fathers. You know, he, he says this, a similar thing in Exodus 20, but it makes it a bit more clear that it's the children's continuing rejection of God that causes the repetition of the cycle of sin. And this is what we see in Judah's story. He's repeating the sins of his father, Jacob. Maybe it's a learned behaviour. Yet did he know the story of how Jacob wanted his father's blessing? So he tricked his brother Esau to getting that inheritance which he took for himself. And now Judah and his brothers decide to remove Joseph from the picture and history starts to repeat himself. And it will continue to do so as jealousy surfaces again in the story of Judah's own sons. It's the second relationship I want to look at today. It's Judah and Tamar. And it's about jealousy and dishonour. Now, the, the story of Judah and Tamar is one of the it's one of the more surprising stories in the Bible. If you know it well, then I'll just say that I'll be keeping it PG rated today. So don't worry about having to cover uh, granny's ears. Now, but jealousy poisons relationships. And having sold Joe to the slavers, the brothers, they start to drift apart. And Judah moves away. He moves south down to the town of Adullam, where he meets his new best friend Hera, and he marries a Canaanite woman named Shua, and he has three sons. And in case you're thinking, Adullam, I recognise that now, why is that? 
Well, it's the place with the cave where David hid from Saul. And he wrote Psalm 37 and Psalm 142 while hiding in the cave of Adullam. Anyway, continuing with the story of Judah. Okay, so back in Genesis chapter 38, reading for verse 6, it says, In the course of time, Judah arranged for his firstborn son, Ur, to marry a young woman named Tamar. But Ur was a wicked man in the Lord's sight, so the Lord took his life. And then Judah said to Ur's brother Onan, You need to go and marry Tamar, as our law requires of the brother of a man who has died. You must produce an heir for your brother. So this law that Judah is talking about here is is the law of Leverite marriage. It's the duty to provide an heir for a man who is childless, okay, a man who died childless, and also to care for his his widow. This ensures that the the inheritance of that man is preserved down the family line, and the man's family line continues, and the widow is taken care of in a world that has no social care system of any kind. Uh, And I wonder if this impetus to kind of continue the family line for every marriage i wonder if this is like the tail end of god's instruction to humanity through adam and eve to go forth and multiply fill the earth and subdue it and this kind of drive is still there in the way people behave to ensure that no family name ever died out and if a man died without having children then uh, one of his relatives would be expected to step in uh, and, and marry his widow we saw this working out in the way that it's supposed to in the story of Ruth and Bowers a couple of weeks ago, if you recall. And if you don't, you can go back and, and listen to it on the Hope Church website. Just scroll down about halfway through on the homepage and you'll see all the old sermons there. But in Tamar's case, see, in Tamar's case, yeah, Judah's daughter-in-law, she is ill-served because Onan, the second brother who marries her, he doesn't want to produce an heir for his dead brother, Ur. Yeah, an heir for Ur, <laughs> because if there's no child, all of Ur's inheritance will pass to Onan. So what does he do? He avoids getting Tamar pregnant. But according to verse 10, the Lord considered it evil for Onan to deny a child his dead brother, so the Lord took Onan's life too. So Judah's first two sons, Ur and Onan, have both died. And Judah gets to experience for himself twice over the pain of the death of a child. And perhaps he starts to understand and maybe he starts to regret what he did to his own father when he faked the death of his brother Joseph. And don't forget, at this point in the story, Jacob still believes that Joseph is dead. He doesn't know that he's been taken off to slavery in Egypt. Back to, to Judah and Tamar. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, reading from verse 11, Go back to your parents' home and remain a widow until my son Shelah. That's a boy's name in the Bible, okay? Shelah, Shelah. Call it Shelah. Until my son Shelah is old enough to marry you. But Judah didn't really intend to do this because he was afraid that Shelah would also die just like his two brothers. So Tamar went back to live at her father's home. So time passes and it becomes clear that Shelah is not going to fulfil his legal duty to Tamar. And so the responsibility continues through the family tree and passes to Judah, who is by this time himself a widower as well. So Tamar, she decides to take matters into her own hands. Reading from verse 12. Some years later, Judah's wife had died. And after the time of mourning was over, Judah and his friend Hera the Adalamite... 
they went up to Timnah to surprise, so to supervise the shearing of his sheep. Okay, so, so Judah and his best mate have gone up to supervise the sheep shearing. And someone said to Tamar, look, your father-in-law is, is going up to Timnah to shear all his sheep. And Tamar, she was aware, aware that Shelah had grown up, but no arrangements had yet been made for her and him to be married. So what did she do? She changed out of her widow's clothing, covered herself in a veil to disguise herself. And he says that she sat at the entrance to the village of Enium, which is on the road to Timnah. And Judah, as he's walking down the road, he notices her and he thinks that she's a prostitute. And since she had her face covered, so he stops and he propositions her and he just says, can I have sex with you? Not realising it was his own daughter-in-law. <laughs> I told you this is an outrageous story. So Tamar, she becomes pregnant after this encounter with Judah. And three months later, Judah learns that she's pregnant. And he's like, my daughter-in-law's pregnant. What's she been up to? How dare she behave like that? And he orders her killed for her immorality. But then in this kind of dramatic reveal at the end of the story, Tamar proves that Judah is the father of her pregnancy. And so Judah declares that she is more righteous than I am because I did not arrange for her to marry my, marry my son, Shelah. And he said, Judah never slept with Tamar again. So Tamar, she tricks Judah into fulfilling what is in fact his legal duty to continue the family line. Yeah, the two sons that were born to Tamar, Perez and Zerah. Yeah, Perez was a direct descendant of David and Jesus. Sorry, they were Perez's descendants. Yeah, the Bible says Perez was the son of Judah, Judah was the son of Jacob. You know, Tamar's behaviour, it's, it's pretty challenging in our eyes, right? And don't, don't take this as approval to behave like Tamar and Judah to try and get what you want. You know, remember when all this is happening, it's way back at the dawn of time. We're in the book of Genesis. The Ten Commandments haven't been given yet. There has been no law revealed from Yahweh to tell people how they should and should not be living. And Tamar herself finds herself in this almost impossible situation and, you know, just does what she needs to in order to survive because those responsible for protecting her had abandoned their duties. Judah treated Tamar badly, first by refusing for her to marry Shelah. That's not Tamar's fault that her first two husbands died, right? The Bible makes it clear that God dealt with them because they were wicked men. So, so Tamar's been married to two wicked men. So she must not have had a pleasant marriage. And then Judah treats her with dishonour and double standards when she becomes pregnant by him. Dishonour and double standards. They will destroy, destroy a relationship just as surely as jealousy. But actually the, the, the root of Judah's behavior to Tamar is a failure of his uh, duty of care yeah and both words are important duty and care we don't talk much about duty these days but duty is the obligation to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do it's my duty to feed my children whether they are good or bad whether they get good grades or fail their exams whether they tidy their room Jacob uh, or, or not it's my duty to care for every member of the congregation of Hope Church, whether I like you or not, whether 
you appreciate me caring for you or not, or even whether you notice or not. As Christ followers, as disciples, we should not be shirkers of our duty. Our duty is to serve wholeheartedly, to worship enthusiastically and to care, to care. Because care brings compassion to the exercising of our duty. It stops us being cold or harsh or, or distant. Yeah, If Judah had cared for Tamar, she would not have been driven to take desperate measures. And when we care, when we care for one another, God sees it and he accepts that care as if it had been given to himself. Jesus tells his story about the day of judgment in um, chapter 25. It says, verse 37, when these it says, then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, whenever did we see you hungry or, or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked to give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king replies, I tell you the truth. Whenever you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. So, so don't judge others harshly. Yeah, we, we have a habit of judging harshly those those sins that, that we're not so tempted to commit. But in, in every relationship we have, we need we need to hope and expect the best. Yeah, we, we not not to condemn people, not to discount them, not to discard other people when we have no idea of what is really going on in their life or what might be causing them to act in a certain way. And even though Judah failed in his duty of care towards Tamar, yeah, she herself is revered. You may recall from the story of Ruth and Boaz, that at the end there's this affirmation. Yeah, when the elders at the city gate are blessing Boaz when he agrees to step in to be um, Ruth's redeemer. And it says, um, it says, may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. So at, at this point, as, as you're reading through the book of Genesis, the narrative flow of the book returns to the story of Joseph. And we don't see much more of Judah until the climax of the story when the brothers go down into Egypt to escape the famine in Canaan and they meet the prime minister of Egypt, not realising he's actually their brother Joseph. But they, they don't recognise him in all of his finery and Egyptian clothing. But this is the, the third relationship that defines Judah. Yeah, the first one was, was Judah's relationship with Joseph, which is characterised by, by jealousy. The second one was his relationship with Tamar, which is about dishonour and neglect. But his relationship with Benjamin is different. So the famine is harsh and Jacob sends his sons to Egypt to try and buy food. But he keeps the youngest one of them, his new favourite, Benjamin, at home. And after the brothers have met with Joseph, they don't recognise um, him. And he sends them home again with grain. But instructions saying, I want you to come back with Benjamin. I want to meet all of your brothers. From Joseph's perspective, he wants all the brothers together before he reveals his true identity and that he's in fact still alive. But Jacob, old Jacob, he refuses to let Benjamin go back to Egypt with his brothers. He's still pained by the loss of Joseph, who he thinks is dead. 
Yes, and Jacob is overly protective of his last remaining youngest son, Benjamin. Yeah, it, it, it says here, it says, um, verse 38, but Jacob replied, my son, talking about Benjamin, will not go down with you. His brother Joseph is dead and he is all I have left. If anything should happen to him on your journey, you would send this grieving white-haired man to his grave. But the famine continued to ravage the land. And when the grain that they had bought from Egypt was almost gone, Jacob, he said to his sons, go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said, this man was serious. He's talking about Joseph now, the, who, you know, the Egyptian prime minister. This man was serious when he warned us, you won't see my face again unless your brother was with you. If you send Benjamin with us, we will go down, we'll buy more food. But if you don't send Benjamin, then we can't go either. Remember the man said, you won't see my face again unless your brother is with me, with you. So Judah says to his father, send the boy with me and we will be on our way. Otherwise, we're all going to die of starvation. And not only we, but, but you and your little ones. I personally guarantee his safety. You may hold me responsible if I don't bring him back to you. you know, then let me bear the blame forever. We're starting to see a different Judah here. Rather than seeing other people as a means to getting what he wants, Judah is stepping up, he's taking responsibilities, caring for Benjamin's safety so that they can get food for the whole extended family. So they go down into Egypt and Joseph plays this trick on his brothers by planting a silver cup in Benjamin's rucksack. And at his discovery, he suggests that Benjamin must now stay in Egypt as his slave as punishment. And then Judah steps up again. He's speaking to Joseph, says, and now, my Lord, I cannot go back to my father without this boy. Our father's life is bound up in this boy's life. If he sees the boy's not with us, our father will die. And we, your servants, will indeed be responsible for sending that grieving white-haired man to his grave. My Lord, I, I guarantee to my father, and Judah is pleading here, isn't he? My Lord, I guarantee to my father that I would take care of this boy. I said, if I don't bring him back to you, I'm going to bear the blame forever. So please, my Lord, let, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish that this would cause my father. And, and these are the last words spoken by Judah recorded in the Bible. What, what a changed man. Gone is the jealous brother who would sell Joe for 20 pieces of silver. Or the callous man who tried to leave Tamar abandoned. Take me instead, says Judah. Free Benjamin. Save my father the pain of another lost Son, let, let me take his place. Yeah, Judah's relationship with Benjamin is different. It is sacrificial. It is focused on the good of the other person, not the good of himself. Yeah, Judah has grown. He's changed. He's matured. His relationship goals have shifted. He's moved from being focused on what he can get out of a relationship. He's instead, he's focused on what he can give into the relationship. Yeah, and this this is the heart of the matter. Yeah, the purpose of relationships, if you like. Yeah, we're so fo focused on thinking, what can I get out of this relationship? We miss the point of the relationships that we have with the people that God has put into our life. You see, the, the, the true measure of a relationship. Yeah, okay, pay attention. If you're making notes, this one's right now. 
The true measure of a relationship is not what you get out of it. The true measure of a relationship is the person that you become through it. Let me say that again. The true measure of a relationship is not what you get out of it. The true measure of a relationship is the person that you become through it. Now, at the start of his life, Judah became a jealous, callous person who was indifferent to his father's pain when he staged the death of Joseph and sold him into slavery. That cold, callous heart, who he became through that, caused him to treat Tamar badly, even as he experienced himself twice over the pain of the loss of a child, that pain that he deliberately caused to his own father. You know, those first two relationships, Judah was focused on himself, how he felt, what he could get out of the relationship or what it would cost him. You know, but the true measure of relationship is not what you get out of it. The true measure of relationship is the person that you become through it. And Judah's relationship with Benjamin, yeah, we see that Judah has started to change. He's a new Man, he's more interested in Benjamin than he is in himself. He's prepared to substitute himself for Benjamin, to take the punishment on Benjamin's behalf so that Benjamin could go free. You know, what what are your relationship goals? How do you judge the value and the purpose of all the different relationships in your life, at work, at home, with customers, with clients, with friends at school? You know, your relationships are about more than what you can get out of them or even what you put into them. It's about who you become for better or for worse because how you behave and the choices that you make, that's what defines that relationship. And Judah, in the end, he chose well. His willingness to offer himself in place of Benjamin yeah, moved Joseph to the point where he reveals his true identity. The family is reunited. And for Jacob, it was like his son who he had loved was raised from the dead when he finally saw Joseph again in all his grandeur as the prime minister of Egypt. Now time passes and Jacob, he grows old in Egypt and he calls his sons together for a final blessing. And to Judah, he says this, in verse 14, uh, chapter 49 of Genesis. It says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. You will grasp your enemies by the neck. All your relatives will bow before you. Judah, my son, is a young lion that's finished eating his prey. A lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs the one whom all nations will honour. And here we see the promise to Judah. Yeah, the first time that we'd learned that the Messiah himself would come through the family line of Judah. Yeah, this is the one whom the nations will honour. And then that, that Judah himself, yeah, Judah will hold the ruler's staff. And from the time of King David through to the Babylonian exile, he was always a descendant of Judah, of Judah who sat upon the throne. Every relationship we have leaves us changed. Some more than others. Some will leave you changed for the better. Some will leave you changed for the worse. But when we learn to focus not on what we get out of the relationship, but rather what we become through with the relationship, 
it sets you free it will empower you it will change your perspective and the most important relationship that any one of us has is the relationship with our creator yeah with god and this is where we started christianity isn't religion it's a relationship and no other relationship will affect you more than your relationship with jesus through jesus we will become forgiven we will become adopted into god's family we will become someone with purpose and a new perspective on the world you know god god loves you he wants you to become a part of his family and the invitation is there and is open to everyone but you need to accept it and you accept that invitation by asking jesus to become lord of your life lord god i pray that you would bless every person watching right now bless them and their family with long and healthy lives jesus i pray that you'd make yourself real to them do a work in their heart if they've never received his lord and savior i pray that they would do so now and if you want to get right with god today you can do it right now it only takes a moment just say this prayer along with me in your heart or in your lips out loud let's pray lord jesus thank you that you died for me thank you um, and I believe that you're risen from the dead and that you're coming back again for me. Come into my heart, forgive me of my sin, wash me and cleanse me and set me free. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and give me a passion for the lost, a hunger for the things of God and a holy boldness to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm saved, I'm born again, I'm forgiven and I'm on my way to heaven because I have Jesus in my heart. Amen. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer with me today, I can tell you, my friend, that all of your sins have been forgiven. This is a promise of scripture. Always remember to run towards God and not away from God. He, he loves you. He's got a great plan for your life. And if you, you prayed that prayer with us today, please click that button on the screen that says raise your hand. Just let us know that you've uh, decided to give your life to Jesus today or to recommit your life to Jesus today. And if you want to talk to someone, just click that request prayer button. One of our trained team will be happy to talk with you in a private chat window well listen, I'm, going to, I'm going to close the, the service now chat rooms will remain open another 10 minutes or so if you want to pray with someone or uh, speak to one of the team just click that request prayer button yeah we're going to continue to pray for you church thank you for your prayers for us um thank you for your faithful financial support that makes all of this possible yeah the bible says that god sees your sacrifice and the seeds that you sow will yield a harvest and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Well, we've got all our regular events on through the week ahead. We've got communion on the couch with Mark and Lydia on Monday night at 7.30 in the Hope Family Facebook group. We've got the Ladies Who Lead Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, Centre Online continues Wednesday evening. Um, we're almost at the end of this current series, but doesn't matter you can join in even if you're not being part of it before the, the zoom link will be in the um, hope family facebook group uh, during the week it's the same one as as last week you know the, the zoom link is the same week to week now i'm um, busy planning our special events for easter but let me tell you a secret just to you no one else okay but we've we've arranged we've got Noel richards coming to lead worship uh, at hope church on easter sunday morning so i'm really looking forward to that but until then, be good, be happy, be healthy, be holy. We'll see you next week. Bye.